Hey, we've been in this series uh, called Bless Every Home, and uh, we've talked about prayer, we've talked about care, and today we're going to talk about share, not the actress, S-H-A-R-E, and uh, we're going to um, talk a little bit about sharing our faith, and uh, you might remember uh, this uh, thing that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, uh, this little acrostic bless, real, real easy way to uh, begin to minister to people. Uh, it begins with prayer. You begin, so you begin by praying for the people in your life, the people, maybe your neighbors, as we've sort of been talking about reaching out to our actual neighbors. And uh, you begin praying for them. You listen to them. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but you listen to what they have to say. Uh, maybe you have a chance to eat with them. And this is a very Baptist thing for us to do. We love to eat. Uh, we've given the spiritual gift of eating. And uh, then you serve people. And finally, if the Lord opens the opportunity, you share your story. And I've been uh, really pleased to hear about some of, uh, some of y'all that have been able to uh, implement some of these ideas. Uh, I understand that even this past week, the, uh, the Crespers and the Crumps and the Jamesons, who all live uh, pretty close over here together, uh, on the same block, they uh, were uh, preparing to host a neighborhood cookout uh, for their neighbors just to get to know their neighbors. Because today, as we've talked about, a lot of, a lot of people don't really know their neighbors. And I'm getting a little bit of feedback. I don't know if it's uh, just the podium or what, but, um, but I think that's a wonderful, wonderful way to, to uh, begin to get to know your neighbors a little bit. And I think it's a great application of what we're talking about. Uh, today I want to talk to you about the importance of verbally communicating to others your story of how God has blessed you. Okay, and a lot of us get a little bit scared when we talk about witnessing. But that's okay. I want to show you how easy, how natural witnessing can really be. And, if, and there's a beautiful picture of this way back in the Old Testament. 2 Kings chapter 7. Take your Bible, turn to 2 Kings chapter 7. Verses 3 through 9, and uh, once you found 2 Kings chapter 7, I invite you to stand with me, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. 2 Kings chapter 7, verses 3 through 9, Scripture reads this way, Now four men with a skin disease were at the entrance to the city gate. They said to each other, Why just sit here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, we will die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we will also die. So now, come on, let's surrender to the Arameans' camp. If they let us live, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. So the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Arameans' camp. When they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that no one was there, for the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a large army. The Arameans had said to one another, The king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they had gotten up and fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys. The camp was intact, and they had fled for their lives. When these diseased men came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent to eat and drink. They picked up the silver, gold, and clothing and went off and hid them. They came back and entered another tent, picked, up th picked things up and hid them. Then they said to each other, we're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. 
If we are silent and wait until morning light, our punishment will catch up with us. So let's go tell the king's household. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would illumine our minds to the truth of your word and to the importance of sharing our story with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this sermon's not going to take a very long time, but uh, I do want to share with you, you know, when, when you read a, ser- a story like this in the Bible, you likely begin to identify with one of the characters. And it's true of any story that you read in the Bible, maybe any movie that you see, a book that you read. Uh, but you take the story of the prodigal son. You, of course, you might remember that story. Who do you relate to in the prodigal son story? Well, a lot of us relate to the prodigal son. You know, the, the guy who messed up and he finally came to his senses, came back to his father. Uh, some of us relate to the loving father who received his son back home. Maybe there are circumstances in our lives where we sort of relate to being the, being the father there. But there's another character in the story that I think some of us might relate to, and it's, it's the self-righteous brother who did not want to receive his brother back because he had done no wrong while his brother had done great wrong things. Well, maybe some of us relate to him. Well, you take this story here of the four lepers. I'm just going to call them lepers, whether they're lepers or some other skin disease. I'm going to call them lepers. You take the story of the four lepers here, and these four lepers basically act in unison. They're basically, literally, one character. Okay? And so they, act as, they serve as one character. There's really nobody else in the story that we could even relate to, except maybe for the Arameans who ran away. Um, but the focus of the story, obviously, is on the four lepers as a group, and that's who we relate to. So here's the question. If that's who we relate to, then how are you and I like the four lepers? In what way are we like them? Well, here's how. In the Bible, leprosy is a symbol of sin. And a person who had leprosy was unclean. And so these lepers, they had been pronounced unclean. They were banished from all of the clean people. The lepers had to remain outside of the city. And so look again at verse 3. Now, four men with a skin disease were at the entrance to the city gate. They said to each other, why just sit here until we die? Because they had been banished outside the city, because they could not get any closer to the city than than the city gate, then these lepers had no way of supporting themselves. They couldn't be with their family. They couldn't engage in business. And unless someone left them food or water, or if it was somehow naturally nearby, they were likely going to die. And that is essentially the situation that you and I are in because of our sin. We are unclean because of our sin. We are outcasts from the presence of God because of our sin. We are incapable of saving ourselves because of our sin. And we are on the slow path to death. We are dead men walking. You know that phrase, right? Dead men walking. It's used uh, sometimes when a criminal is taken to the gallows, when he's taken to the uh, electrocution chair the electric chair, to face his untimely demise. As he walks down the halls, the guard might yell out, Dead man walking! Dead man walking! As a warning to all of the other prisoners, this guy 
is about to meet his maker. That's the situation of the lepers, and that's the situation of you and me because of our sin, if God does not intervene. And so these lepers, not only were they in jeopardy, they were in double jeopardy. Not only were they lepers, not only were they like us, who are, as Ephesians 2.1 says, dead in your trespasses and sin. Not only did they have this skin disease, but they also faced a famine in the city. The city would provide no relief for them, even if they could get in. In fact, these lepers were in triple jeopardy. They had a skin disease. They could not go into the city because there's a famine there. And one of the enemies of Israel, the army of the Arameans, was camped close by. I mean, they were between a rock and a hard place and a cliff. Okay, have you ever been there? Have you ever been there at that type of place in your life where no matter what you choose to do, it's the wrong decision? I mean, it's not going to work out well for you no matter what you do. It's just the wrong choice. No matter what you decide, it simply looks like it's going to be the wrong choice. Well, listen, when you're in a situation like that, there is another danger that is just as dangerous as anything else you might face. And that is the danger of complacency. Doing nothing. Some of us get a little bit paralyzed when we're in a crisis and we do nothing. And there's a great danger in that. Now, whenever you're in a bad way, you always need to pray to God for a solution. At least do that much. Pray to God for a solution. But sometimes the solution is right there in front of you and you fail to see it. Maybe you're so upset about your situation that you become paralyzed. Or maybe you become uh, in, in sort of a fog. And the wise choice that's right there in front of you becomes lost in the fog. Maybe you need to catch your breath, take a minute, and write down your options on a piece of paper. And maybe then the best choice will become clear. But whatever else you do, when you're in the midst of a crisis, the last thing you want to become is complacent. Do you remember the tsunami in 2004 on December 26th of that year in the Indian Ocean? And it killed almost a quarter of a million people. Many of those people who died were simply caught unaware. But some died because of their complacency. Ravi Coria is the president of the Sri Lanka Wildlife Conservation Society. It's based in New Jersey, but he was actually in Sri Lanka at the time when those massive waves struck. And he survived, but later he visited a national park called Yala National Park, which includes a 500-square-mile wildlife reserve that's home to elephants, home to leopards, home to 130 species of birds, and when he surveyed this later with some park rangers, they only found two animal carcasses, two water buffalo. That's all they found, in spite of all the other kind of uh, destruction. Survivors who were at the park that day 
recounted that they saw three elephants running away from the beach before the tsunami hit. One resident of Sri Lanka said that on that day his two dogs would not go on a daily run at the beach. Those dogs saved his life. Among India's Cuddalore Coast, where thousands of people died, it was reported that buffaloes, goats, and dogs were found unharmed. Flamingos in India flew to higher ground earlier than their usual migratory flights. There are certain indigenous tribes on many of the islands of that area that pay very close attention to animals and to nature in general. And those tribes survived because they took action. For many others, however, they noticed the unusual behavior of the animals, but in their complacency, they just waited to see what happened. And then it was too late. Doing nothing will usually not solve your problems. The four lepers made a decision. Look at verse 4. If we say, let's go into the city, we will die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we will also die. So now, come on. Let's surrender to the Arameans' camp. If they let us live, we will live. If they kill us, we will die. The lepers weighed their options logically, and they had only one viable option. They chose life. Verses 5 through 7, we read, So the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Arameans' camp, When they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots, horses, and a large army. The Arameans had said to each other, The king of Israel must have hired the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to attack us. So they had gotten up and fled at twilight, abandoning their tents, horses, and donkeys. The camp was intact, and they had fled for their lives. I want you to notice something about these lepers. By the time the lepers made it to the Arameans' camp, God had already provided. This is a very key principle that you don't want to miss. It's simply this. Choose life. And you will discover that God has already provided for you. That's the way God always does it. That's the way he always does it. And there may be someone here today who needs eternal life. You need the forgiveness of God. What I'm telling you is this, that if you turn to God and you choose to gain the forgiveness and eternal life that he offers, if you choose life, you'll discover that God has already made provision for it. Jesus, the Son of God, died on a cross, and He rose from the grave. Why? To provide you with forgiveness and eternal life. Forgiveness of your sins that make you unclean, that push you out of the very family of God, that make you an outcast. He provides forgiveness, and He provides you eternal life. The provision's already been made. 
It's already been done. It's as if God is saying, look, I've already made the provision. All you have to do is choose life. Is say yes and receive it. And for the rest of us who are already following Christ, we need to hear this last part. Verse 8. When these diseased men came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent to eat and drink. Then they picked up the silver, gold, and clothing and went off and hid them. They came back and entered another tent, picked things up and hid them. Then they said to each other, we're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until morning light, our punishment will catch up with us. So let's go tell the king's household. You know, these lepers were tempted to keep all of the blessings of that camp for themselves. But they realized that that would be a sin. How many of us, having tasted the blessing of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ, are like the lepers in verse 8, hoarding it all to ourselves, drawing treasures from the very kingdom of God and hiding them away and not sharing the good news with anyone else. We need to be like the lepers in verse 9 who turned away from that action and said, we've got good news to tell people. The lepers need to tell someone else their story. And so do we. So, Here we are, okay? A room full of spiritual lepers who have been blessed by God with forgiveness and salvation. That's all we are. We need to tell others our story, so let's be real clear about this. Let's just be real about this. How do you do that? I mean, how do you even get into a conversation about Jesus with somebody else? You know, for some of us, it's not hard. We're very outgoing. We're very outspoken, and we can, we can do that very easily. Some of us have a real hard time with that. How do you, how do you get into a, a conversation about Jesus? Well, here's a real good way, and this works with someone that you just met or with someone that you've known for a long time. You can say something like this. Let me get your opinion on something. Do you believe in spiritual things? That can open the door. That can open the door with a a relative that you see every Christmas, that you've known for 40 years, and yet you haven't ever shared your faith with that person. Just get their opinion. Do you believe in spiritual things? Do you remember the the letter L in the word bless in that acrostic? Listen. Listen. Whatever they say in response to that question, even if it's just flat out wrong, Just listen. Don't correct them. Don't preach to them. Just listen to what they have to say. Because if you listen first, then later you'll have an opportunity to talk about your beliefs. But if you just rush in there and say, Jesus! Scare them to death. I don't know if that's the best way to share your faith. And if you come back to me and say, I scream Jesus at someone. I'm going to say, man, that's great. That's great. Let's work, let's, let's work on your approach, okay? But I'm proud of you. 
for doing what you can. Listen to them. Ask their opinion first. And they might tell you that they are a whatever. Just listen to them. And nod your head. And when the opportunity arises, talk to them about your faith, about what you believe. And you might say, okay, that sounds real good, preacher, but I'm not really good at talking about my beliefs. That's okay, too. That's okay, too. If the only thing that you can say is this, well, I believe in Jesus. If that's all you know to say, that's good. That is good. Okay? Because you're helping your friend think about the possibility of them believing in Jesus. All right? If all you can say is, you know, I'm really not good at explaining these things, but, but, but I go to Broadview Church, and I'd love for you to come with me sometime. That's good, because you're opening up an opportunity for them to hear about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as a pastor, I don't believe in telling Christians what bad Christians they must be if they don't know how to witness as good as Billy Graham. Okay? Um, you learn. The more you do it, the better you get. I believe it's important for you to be you. For you to be authentic. You to be you. I believe it's important for you to care enough about the people in your life that you point them to Jesus the best you can. I believe it's important for you to leave the results up to God. Because you can't save anybody. Nobody can save you except for God. And only God can save your friend, your family member, your loved one. What I want is for every member of our church, as many as, as many as will allow this, to become on mission with God. To live a life where we pray for people, we care for people by doing kind things for them, and we share Jesus with them. I want all of us to know in our head and in our heart that you have been blessed to be a blessing. You've not been blessed to hog it all up for yourselves. Okay? As a church, it is not good enough for us to come here every Sunday and hog up Jesus all to ourselves. We must get out beyond the four walls of this church building, the church campus. This is a campus. This is a building. This is not a church. You are the church. We must get on beyond the four walls of the campus in the building and tell the people in our world about Jesus the best we can. If that's inviting them to church, if that's saying, I believe in Jesus and, and I'll find someone who can lead you to Jesus, or here's all you got to do, then whatever it is you do, you're on mission with God. Now, let me go back and say one thing to those of you who have not yet decided to follow Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to receive Jesus, it's as easy as ABC, okay? I'm not trying to make a, a little formula or anything like that, but it's very simple to follow Christ, okay? 
admit that you're a sinner. Most of us probably don't have a problem with that. We don't live up to God's standards, right? Secondly, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Jesus that died on the cross, rose from the grave, he ascended to heaven, he is Lord over all. Believe in that Jesus. And commit your life to following him. From this point on, for the rest of your life, you're going to follow him. And if you'll say yes to God like that, then God will grant you the forgiveness and the eternal life that you so desire. Anytime you'd you'd like to speak with me, you can always text me at that number. You can write that down, 806-375-4240.